Welcome to one more edition of Move to Amend Reports. I'm Egberto and I'm Laura Bonham. How are you tonight, Egberto? So far, so good. It's we're we, after having a very cold start to the, uh, I guess the, the autumn. We we suddenly got pretty darn warm, but we understand there'll be a freeze coming next week. How's it with you? Well, I think we, we I think the whole country is experiencing some pretty severe weather lately. The Northeast has been getting pounded by early snowstorms, and we here in the Rocky Mountain West have had unusually cold temperatures. It, it, it heated up a little today. It got up into the mid-30s, so we had rain on top of snow, and now we have ice. So. <laughs> but we'll, Ouch. you know, we're 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 going to have our white Christmas. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, and speaking of Christmas, this is um, you know the last show we have before the Christmas holiday, and we have a really special guest with us tonight. Jeff Clements, an attorney and author, is the co-founder of Free Speech for People, a national nonpartisan campaign to challenge the creation of constitutional rights for corporations, overturn Citizens United versus FEC, and strengthen American democracy and Republican self-government. He is the author of the book, Corporations Are Not People, which you can buy through the Move to Amend store. <clears throat> and the fa- he's also the founder of Clements Law Office, LLC, which has represented and advocated for people, businesses, and the public interest since 1988. Among his many other accomplishments, just served as Assistant Attorney General and Chief of the Public Protection and Advocacy Bureau in the Massachusetts Attorney General's Office. Welcome to the show, Jeff. It's a great pleasure to have you with us tonight. Thank you, Laura. Great to uh, be here with you and Egberto as well. We uh, uh, we often mention your book, Corporations Are Not People, and as I said, you know, we carry that as uh, one of the basic uh, books that we think all people should read as a primer to get them re- ready and um and in understanding the issues that lie uh, in 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 both of our organizations and why we're doing what we're doing, uh, are you uh, going to be penning a new book soon? Well, I'm actually. It's it's interesting you ask. I've been um, holed up in the snow here in uh, Massachusetts, trying to finish uh, with a February one deadline. A, um, oh. It'll actually not be a new book, but it will be it will be sort of a new book. It's uh, going to be an update of Corporations Are Not People, and it's coming out in time uh, for the fall, uh, the 2014 elections, and it's going to update uh, the original book, which was out in 2012, but so much has happened since then, including a national election and many more, uh, what I call now the corporate veto cases where the courts are striking down laws based on corporate rights. Um, and, uh, you know, that's on the negative side. Uh, but also a lot has happened on the positive side. Um, uh, with Move to Amend and many other groups working so hard and so well to advance this constitutional amendment movement across the country, uh, there's much to update. So I'm going to be uh, working on that. And when the book comes out, I hope uh, I hope people will continue to look to it as a resource uh, for this big uh, historic struggle that we're in right now. There are, well, that's good news. So, uh, and be sure to let us know when it hits the stand so we can let our listeners and members know. Um, 
a couple of cases are in front of the Supreme Court right now. Uh, will they be included in the book? Is, uh, and maybe you could speak to them a little bit. There's McCutcheon versus FEC and the Hobby Lobby case. Yes, for sure. These, um, you know, the the Supreme Court um, seems to always find time for <laughs> taking more cases that will empower the very wealthy and uh, empower corporations even more. Um, and they've continued that since Citizens United. And the the two you mentioned, Laura, this term um, involve really both sides of the Citizens United uh, problem. That is uh, the money in elections, the dominating money uh, of the very few in our election systems and the fabrication of corporate rights. So starting with the McCutcheon case, you mentioned McCutcheon versus FEC. Uh, McCutcheon is the name of a, a, a fellow, Sean McCutcheon. He's a, a CEO of a company that uh, makes a lot of money in mining and other extraction industries. And uh, he's upset that there's an aggregate limit on individual contributions to congressional, you know, federal candidates. Uh, and the limit's very high. It's something like $128,000. Uh, uh, so, you know, if you if you think of what, um, you know, most, most people make in a year, uh, you could give away all your money for several years to candidates and still not approach the aggregate limit for most people. But for Sean McCutcheon, it's not enough. He wants to uh, give more money to uh, control how politicians behave. Uh, and so he says the aggregate limits uh, based on Citizens United and the Buckley case um, violate uh, the, the First Amendment. Um, so that's going to the Supreme Court. Uh, it was already argued uh, in, in an oral argument. It looks like the, fa the same five justices that decided the Citizens United case are leaning uh, towards, it, it appears, this is guesswork, of course, but it appears leaning towards striking down these limits on, on campaign contributions uh, and, and adding uh, some of the math shows it could be just um, millions and millions of dollars of, of total additional money. Um, that's on top of everything else we've seen in the election. So that's that's one uh, major case uh, that, that uh, we're certainly watching and will be significant this, this term, and that means sometime before June. Um, so th the other one, though, that you mentioned, Hobby Lobby, is very interesting. You know, when Citizens United was decided, I'm, I'm sure you you know uh, uh, and, and have heard sometimes the same uh, uh, arguments or points of view that we've heard that, oh, it's really just about Citizens United, it's about money and politics and it's elections. What's all this, you know, corporate rights stuff? Um, well, the, the, the Hobby Lobby case, as it's called, uh, makes very clear what Citizens United was about. The, the lawyers for a corporation called Hobby Lobby, which is a chain of stores that employs 13,000 people. This is not a, a small, uh, you know, mom and pop shop. It's a a major corporation employs 13,000 people, um, and the corporation citing Citizens United says that the health care law, the Affordable Care Act, which requires that employees have access to health insurance policies that provide a minimum of coverage, including for birth control, the corporation is arguing that that violates its free exercise of religion rights, um, not just of the owners of the corporation, the two uh, owners, uh, husband and wife, who claim that their religious views, and I, I have no reason to doubt this, I respect their religious views, um, 
they claim their religious views uh, re require them to oppose certain forms of birth control, but they go further and the corporation is claiming that it has free exercise of religion rights under the First Amendment and uh, can deny this kind of health insurance to 13,000 employees. Um, so that's extraordinary that we now have a corporation claiming to uh, you know, take the most fundamental of human, uh, um, you know, human uh, spiritual uh, rights. You know, literally the, you know, the human activities of, of, of spirituality and worship, and using those to uh, strike down laws and deny access to health insurance and, and birth control uh, to employees based on that kind of. Uh, fabricated corporate rights. So that's the other case. It's unclear how it will come out. The circuits below, the circuits below the Supreme Court, have divided. Some of them have, in fact, found such a right, and the and others have not. So the Supreme Court will decide that uh, again sometime before June. And um, I certainly hope to get uh, some discussion of both cases in my book. And if the Supreme Court decides it, um, you know, we'll we'll see where it goes. Uh, at Free Speech for People, we intend to file a brief in the Hobby Lobby case, uh, arguing, of course, that that the Constitution's about human rights, uh, not not a not a tool for corporations to use rights to strike down our laws. Now, let me. Oh, go ahead, uh, Lauren. No, go ahead, Egbert. I was just going to say, you know, every time I I read about Hobby Lobby and and it, I get that one really gets me. I've been, you know, active my entire adult life, and long ago I got used to losing, <laughs> you know, or I got used to, you know, just how low will people, you know, just how low will they stoop? But this one about corporations exercising religious freedom is just totally beyond the pale as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. I don't you know, it's 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 amazing that it's even part of reality. But go ahead, Alberto. That was all I have to say. It's scary. Yeah, well um Jeff, I am I am not a lawyer, first of all, but from a layman's point of view, uh I'm an engineer so I only think uh in, in very practical uh you know, black and white terms most of the time. What I what I see, and please tell me where I'm wrong or how I should be thinking about this or how we should all be thinking of this, but it seems to me that if a corporation is deemed a person as these uh, as these constitutional interpretations have thus far, that consistency will demand that Hobby Lobby wins its case and the corporation be allowed a religion and it seems to me that if money is really free speech that these other companies are or McCutcheon who wants unlimited amounts of money to be at his will he should also prevail i think if he and and, and again tell me where i'm wrong i think if it doesn't prevail it's something that we'll continue to revisit 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 up and until we really get what we ultimately want to get, which is a constitutional amendment that codifies that corporations simply are artificial entities to be governed by law and have no inalienable rights whatsoever. So please enlighten me. 
Well, I hope I can. I'll do. I'll. Uh, I'll do. I'll do my best. Um, unfortunately, the Supreme Court is not consistent uh, and hasn't been um, on this issue and others, but particularly on the issue of of the rights of corporations. The Supreme Court, over the years, has been all over the map and about money and politics, for that matter. Um, you know, Citizens United, a five to four decision reversed a case that had been decided exactly the other way on the question of uh, the McCain-Feingold money in in elections law. The case had gone exactly the other way, saying it was perfectly constitutional to limit corporate money and to exclude corporate money, corporate spending in in elections uh, in 2003 in the McConnell case. So the only thing that changed is Sandra Day O'Connor retired and Justice Rehnquist died and were replaced by Samuel Alito and and Chief Justice Roberts. So even on the court, these fights are, are these these, uh, disagreements and and the debate goes on. Um, And so it's not clear entirely which way in any of these cases the court will go. I think for the reasons you say, Egberto, it's it's likely that um, they'll push that way because the five in the majority in Citizens United are just very ideologically driven to impose their their sort of version of 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 corporate power and money in politics. Uh, but if you look back in the long view over the you know, I think both over the, the entire history of our country, but even going back to the sort of birth of the modern corporate rights movement, which in my book I traced to Lewis Powell and uh, the so-called Powell Memo, and, and he went on oh, the yeah. Supreme Court and created this corporate speech idea. Even in those years, the court has gone back and forth. So I think the fight's still on in the court. Um, at the same time, though, I, I agree with you. This, this is the court and the lawyers have done their best and mucked it up, and the American people need to settle this question. And the constitutional amendment vehicle is how we settle these big questions of you know really who we are as americans and and i think the the big debate in our time as in past times is what is the place of of corporations do they make the rules for us or do we make the rules for them and uh you know what is the place of equality in elections and politics are we really all equal or does money decide who has the most say i think those are the two huge questions that citizens united poses to the country and the amendment movement is answering those questions and i think in the end, like like all of the fundamental questions of, of American constitutional law, the big ones, um, when the court can't get it right and, and is divided and, and uh, it, is, it has to be settled by the American people. And that's what's so exciting uh, and what's so crucial for the constitutional amendment movement that we're all working, working to advance. Um. Well, one other question here. Do you know, and and again, coming from uh, the neophyte with respect to the law, what precedents we have on this issue internationally? Are we the oxymoron here, or exactly uh, where do we stand with regards to the corporation, uh, corporate personhood? Well, you know, I, I'm no international lawyer, so I'm, I, I certainly um, couldn't do a survey of, of what other countries do on this issue um you know i but i i guess i'd answer it two ways i think um you know the the root of the american constitution and our and our and and the 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 sort of ideal you know we're never we're never there and and hopefully 
we're working to get closer. But the ideal of the American Constitution is that it's based on fundamentally inherent human rights that we're they're, we're born with, literally. Um, and and th- if that's the case, as I believe it is, corporations aren't included in the word person and, and people in the Constitution. Um, and, you know, that's a... a, a an idea that I think is both accurate, but also a reflection of of, of the revolution and that we had, and the, and our our peculiar in in um, you know in a good way our, our peculiar circumstances of when and how our revolution happened and constitutions in other parts of the world, of course, um, were written at all sorts of different times, and many of them are are much more modern. Uh, but I don't think there's uh, um, any successful democracy that uh, empowers corporations to share the rights, the fundamental rights that human beings have. Um, I, I, it is not how it's done in, in um, Europe and Canada, as far as I can tell. And I think one good way to um, look at that, as I said, I'm, I'm not an international lawyer, but if you look at the results, um, I, I often talk about GMO labeling. So labeling for genetically modified food, and I tell the story in my book of, of Vermont's effort to to simply label dairy products that came from cows that were treated with Monsanto's genetically modified bovine growth hormone. This is a, a drug that was banned in virtually every democracy in the world, um, throughout the European Union, Canada, Australia, every democracy in the world. The people did not want this in their dairy supply. Our country, not only was it not banned, um, the FDA sailed it through. Uh, and then when Vermont so much as tried to say, we're going to label it so people can at least decide for themselves, that was struck down as a violation of corporate speech rights. Um, so, you know, if corporations have that kind of power uh, to turn to constitutional rights to invalidate laws, they they use it like they did with the GMO labeling uh, situation, and we were the only democracy where, where that happened. And I think we see that over and over again with labor laws, all sorts of examples. Um, where in, in America, unfortunately, in, uh, until we fix this problem of the fabricated constitutional rights for corporations, we effectively have this corporate veto that operates to strike down public policy that other democracies simply don't seem to have the same degree of of uh of of um that kind of a problem. Now I know you in the past on this show in fact have talked about the TPP and the global trade treaties which we, we don't have to get in here. I know you've covered it well in the past. But no, no, that but creates a whole other okay. problem of course of the global corporate power is that is a global problem, no question. Actually, uh, there there was a question I wanted to ask about the TPP later on, but I, let me go back to to uh, see if um, Laura has anything else because there are a couple other questions that I have. But you know, let's, let's see if Laura has something that from what you've said before, Laura. Well, I was I was going to go in the TPP di- direction in that uh, we just have done a, a show on that, and uh, in terms of it being. The, 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 this deal more than others, but all of these t- free trade deals cumulatively are actually creating this global constitution. And with the TPP, these these European countries that you mentioned that have outlawed that have labeling requirements and have outlawed the growth hormone and stuff will find themselves in a tough position 
once Monsanto can exercise its rights through this TPP, which go which completely destroys any country's local sovereignty. Sovereignty, basically, that you know their their constitution it overrides their constitution. Not that the, the TPP making it clear that the TPP is a Pacific Rim country, so it wouldn't include Europe, but it's designed to let other countries get in and. You know, if this one passes, it sets a precedent for future ones and so forth. So, um, you know, what, you know, please speak to that. Yeah, I think, you know, that it, it's, it's a very serious problem. And, and the reason I think it's it's such a serious problem um, is, is the secrecy and the lack of not only transparency but participation by by any kind of semblance of a democratic process small d democratic process um, to negotiate these treaties. So the TPP, of course, refers to Trans-Pacific Partnership, but there are other, other, um, you know, a web of global uh, trade treaties, uh, and they are negotiated under this fast-track authority in secret, and fast-track means essentially it comes to the floor once it's all negotiated. There's been zero input from people and um, privileged and secret input from corporate representatives, uh, and it goes to Congress with simply uh, essentially saying approve it or or else, um, or essentially approve it or not, but it's not open to discussion, negotiation, debate. It's an up or down, up or down vote. That's how fast track works. Um, and 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 I think uh, we do see, and we have seen already, and this would be a further culmination of it, of essentially uh, an emergence of of uh, a global corporate, um, you know, government framework. is too strong a word, but yeah, framework is a, is a good word for it that really does supersede sovereignty of, of the countries. Now, one could argue whether the countries, by signing on, ceded some of that sovereignty, but I don't think Americans uh, really, uh, you know, have had... A, a, a debate and decided, sure, we'll cede our sovereignty, and and so that we can drive wages down and have, um, you know, no idea what's in food that's generated from someplace anywhere in the world where we're not allowed to know where it comes from. I don't think Americans would agree or be willing to cede that kind of sovereignty, um, which is why it's done in secret, and it's ex- uh, and it's exactly why I think there's an increasing movement to stop fast track. Um, to force much more transparency, and I think that's a very important movement. I don't think it replaces the very significant work we have to do to overturn Citizens United. Um, we do have to fix uh, the place of corporations in our own, um, you know, constitution and in our, in our, uh, you know, in our country. We got to get it right. Uh, but that that won't be enough. Even that big struggle, uh, you know, we have to get that done if we have any chance. I think of. Of of really, uh, you know, doing the the larger effort, which is really, uh, you know, I think a struggle for, uh, you know, humanity and 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 a sustainable globe, uh, and and that is a global effort that I think more and more uh, people are recognizing. We have to we have to do all of those things, uh, local, national, international, at the same time. Now, one of the issues. Oh, go ahead, Lauren. I was going to say it's we have to fight corporate rule on a day-to-day basis while we fight corporate rule for eternity. 
Well, yeah, and I think also, you know, it's so important that what we do um, in terms of overturning Citizens United, of of of, of getting a a more accountable, transparent, effective democracy that that the you know that the our vision of what the American Republic is all about. If we can get that right, I don't think the kind of you know secretive, fast track, you know, corporate representatives only. Uh, negotiating process would be allowed to happen. It would be it would force the change. I mean, if you had uh, a Congress and a executive branch that were not so dominated by uh, big corporate interests, um, this would have changed a long time ago, and these treaties would look very different. Uh, and so, I think you know, by fixing our democracy at home, that alone could have a big global impact because. Frankly, the U.S. has a big, huge global impact in these treaties and, and elsewhere, um, so they're not they're not disconnected at all. And I think uh, I think we can make a lot of progress. Well said, Egberto. Yeah. Now, Jeff, uh, several things here. First of all, uh, staying on the TPP a bit longer. How comes? Uh, and, and maybe you can tell me when when they, when they decided to. Um, do these things as corporations to get these uh, these agreements together, these treaties together. Uh, should there be some sort of a uh, law that we should have on our books as well, where if corporations are actually a part of this treaty negotiations, that we should have representation from the working class, maybe through unions or something as well? How comes that never ever? How comes we're talking about all of this secrecy? with the corporate entities on a treaty that affects us all, but at the same time, the average, the, the average American citizen doesn't really form a part of those who are engaging in the, in the act. Well, I think that's, that's exactly, I think you put your finger on the problem. That's, uh, and I think the reason may well be because of the, you know, the, the same kind of dynamic that we we see with you know which is I think Citizens United has come to be um, somewhat shorthand for for the that problem of essentially you know the people don't really matter constituents don't really matter uh, you know the 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 amount of money going into elections right now it's not the amount that's the issue although that's pretty uh, significant too nine billion dollars almost in the last election. It's where it comes from, and it comes the vast, vast majority of that comes from about one half of one percent of the American people, and they're actually concentrated in about five metropolitan areas around um, New York, Washington, Boston, and L.A. and Chicago. Uh, the vast majority of uh, the money is coming from a tiny, tiny segment, and that has had a systemic corrupting effect on our Congress. Um, and so, literally, constituents' views aren't what is driving this process anymore. Um, labor unions are down to private sector labor unions are less than seven percent of the private sector workforce right now. Um, the you know the the same kind of uh, corporate offensive uh, that I describe in my book that's led to what Elizabeth Warren now calls the corporate capture of the courts has decimated. Uh, organized labor. Um, one of the cases that was decided after Citizens United, uh, again, that I sometimes call the corporate veto, uh, it uh, struck down the right of, of workers to be notified even of their rights to organize in the workplace. 
that there was a, a um, notice requirement. The National Labor Relations Board uh, decided it was important to help um, you know workers decide uh, for themselves whether they wanted to join a union or not. Struck down um, as a violation of corporate speech to require employers to post that notice. So you know we've had this decimating attack on working people, on an attack on the um, input that any average American can have in all policies and global trade um, negotiating um, because because of it, it's an executive branch function essentially to negotiate the treaties with, with Congress um, having an approval up or down role. It's even um, you know that you have this combination of the sort of Citizens United-based uh, corruption of our system um, combined with an executive branch secretive uh, foreign uh, relations kind of um, issue, and and combined, uh, you you get uh, a, a very uh, you know um, closed process to say the least. So it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and and uh, there's some really uh, people who know a lot more about it than I do. And I think Citizens uh, Tra- Trade is one of the groups you've had on before, and Public Citizen and others are doing. A lot of important work around TPP, so I think uh, folks should check those out if uh, they want to learn more. Now, um, earlier on, you mentioned about um, the, the individual corporate rights, et cetera. I think there is something important that our audience needs to to get, and we tell we. I think this is something that we have to reinforce over and over again because if you are sitting down uh, right now, we're in Blog Talk Radio and. There are some people who are going to come to the show because they saw your name or they saw the Move to Men name on the promos for the show, et cetera. And they hear the word corporate personhood and they hear the word free speech. I think they, they understand the free speech part pretty well. Um, but I don't think they understand that personhood has a lot to do with that entity being able to have that free speech or personhood has the deleterious effect that it has on their backyard, the company that's drilling in their backyard and what they have rights to do as individuals, the profit motive that they uh, that these companies can recover if you alter what they do because they're a person. Can you elaborate to how they actually became persons? Yeah, so, you know, there's there's uh, it, it, it's sort of a problem of... Um, you know, runaway metaphor, uh, because, you know, corporations, the idea that of a metaphor um, of the word person is not by in itself the problem if you're not talking about constitutional law. So uh, most corporate statutes in any state uh, have a law that enables you to, if you wanted to start a business or, or uh, you know, do... Um, get a business that you wanted to incorporate, you could take out the papers and there's a state law and it will essentially create a corporate entity that under various laws is considered um, like a quote-unquote person. Uh, and, And there's good reason for that. You know, the Clean Water Act says, you know, no person shall dump pollution into the waters of, of the country and, and that's defined to include you know any entity as well as human beings um, so that part is not controversial it make it makes sense it's just a simple legal metaphor the problem is um, you, you know as as I think move to amend um, has 
uh, spent um, a, a great deal of, of uh, effective effort at making clear uh, is that this was abused by, and and twisted in the Gilded Age, in the Santa Clara case and the cases that followed. Um, and it was an age much like ours, big concentrations of wealth and power in the big, uh, what were called trusts, the big global, even less global certainly than we have now, but the equivalent of the biggest corporations, uh, railroad, mining interests, all kinds of oil companies, all kinds of large corporations, um, essentially resisting the application of, of democratic, again, small d, you know, democratic, republican, small r, law. And so the railroads actually didn't like to be regulated. Uh, the oil companies didn't like to be regulated. And they uh, took that um, the word person in the 14th Amendment in the Constitution, which absolutely was not intended to refer to corporations. It was the 14th Amendment after the Civil War, which was to make clear that all all of us American human beings are equal in our country. And, you know, we had just fought a civil war in which 700,000 people died uh, to settle that question that all human beings are equal. And the corporations at the time um, saw the word person, uh, made a, a an argument that should have been laughed out of court, uh, that they were persons too, and the 14th Amendment meant that Corporations couldn't have any regulation that wasn't applied to everything and everyone, and so uh, they could use it to strike down laws uh, that were attempting to regulate these giant, new and dangerous at the time corporations. Um, and they succeeded at the time by by just over and over again coming to court with these arguments, huge amounts of money. Eventually, the court agreed. Okay, corporations are persons, and they never really bothered to explain it about why corporations could have been persons in a constitution that opens with we the people. Um, and uh, away they went, and we saw the court, very activist, much like today, striking down labor laws, even child labor laws were struck down, maximum hour laws were struck down, basically any effort to try to get some kind of balance between corporate power and human beings was struck down under this theory. Um, so that's that's the, the sort of modern uh, or, or the last turn of the century version. Now I, I talk about in my book about how I think you know the American people actually pushed back against that in the 20th century. That you know we had big battles over it. We had you know four constitutional amendments in 10 years in the in the progressive era. We had a wave of laws. We had state constitutional conventions that created things like the ballot initiative to drive more accountability and and transparency and participation into democracy. And we had battles that changed the court, eventually with the, the, the Roosevelt uh, New Deal court. Um, and we got some more balance back. And, and this sort of idea of corporations just wielding a constitutional right to strike down our laws really kind of fell back uh, into the background. And we had some balance for a number of years until we now have the modern version of that um, which uh, I describe in my book coming from Lewis Powell in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to essentially um, twist the First Amendment, freedom of speech, which is applied to the states through the 14th Amendment, which is the one about due process and equal protection of persons, uh, to um, essentially create a new corporate constitutional right used to strike down our laws. So they simply um, try to sidestep the entire argument, much as the court did at the last 
Gilded Age uh, by not really deigning to explain it and instead just using metaphors like speakers or voices. Um, and, and my favorite metaphor in Citizens United, um, which of course struck down an election spending law that applied to corporations, uh, that essentially Justice Kennedy referred to corporations as a disadvantaged class of person. Uh, so, yeah. So, if you were feeling disadvantaged, just to be just be grateful you're not a big corporation, because uh, Justice Kennedy has made very clear they're a disadvantaged class of person. So, you know, essentially we have this, this these um, I think kind of waves of of concentrated corporate power in our country. And if the people don't push back, we are in for a very bad time for a number of years. Um, but I think I think people are pushing back, and, and we'll get balance again, uh, as we have before. A uh, quick question. Um, you're, 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 Hang on one second, because I just want to remind our listeners that about our that if they have a question, to please call in. The number is six four six six five two two three four five. Again, six four six. Six five two two three four five. Press one after the prompt. Go ahead, Egberto. Uh, you know, Laura. One of these days, I'm going to remember that we're a call-in show, <laughs> <laughs> and remember to do that a bit earlier. But um, I, I, enlighten me about something, Jeff. Um, you alluded to the uh, Powell letter several times. Uh, isn't it true that the, the the purpose of the Powell letter was, in effect, to tell, uh, to make make it obvious? that in effect uh, cor- the, the corporate class needed to take control, otherwise uh, majority rule would probably be, or not probably be likely be dangerous to the type of society where we have that top-down uh, super class over everybody else? Well, in some senses, yes. And I think it, it was not only Lewis, Lewis Powell. Let me give a little background because, um, you know, it's an interesting story. Lewis Powell was a Richmond, Virginia lawyer. Um, he was uh, on the board and, and not only on the board, on the executive committee of the Philip Morris Cigarette Corporation. Um, this is a, uh, in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, um, and uh, about 14 other uh, corporate boards. And he was an advisor to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, which is the you know the big national uh, chamber, not like um, your local chambers in, in your town or, or mine, but um, essentially the the organized uh, uh, organization for the largest corporations in the country. And um, you know he looked with some dismay, as as did the others in his circles on these corporate boards, at democracy that was um, doing things like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act and you know, the wave of environmental reform that we had after the uh, Earth Day in 1970. And they looked with dismay on the regulations that were making autos uh, a little bit safer, Uh, that there was actually, you know, democracy was functioning well. People, 20 million people came out on Earth Day in April 1970. Um, And, you know, lo and behold, Congress responded. And so, you know, Lewis Powell outlined this to the Chamber of Commerce as a problem that you know corporations had to get on top of this uh, because uh, you know essentially in, in my view <laughs> democracy was working which would mean a little more balance in the in the uh, power of of the average person and the biggest corporation 
and he laid out a game plan, which is interesting. I've I've got some of the memo in in front of me, and and if I could, I'll just I'll read a sentence or two to give your listeners some sense of how explicit this was. Um, and he he titled the the memo "Attack on the American Free Enterprise System" and and talked about how the American economic system is under attack and that corporations had to organize and fund for as long as it took what he called a, a drive for united action to result in, quote, social, economic, and political change. And he says, independent and uncoordinated activity by individual corporations, as important as this is, will not suffice. Strength lies in organization, in careful long-range planning and implementation, in consistency of action over an indefinite period of years, in the scale of financing available only through joint effort, and in the political of power available only through united action and national organizations. And then he said about corporations driving uh, social, economic, and political change, quote, under our constitutional system, especially with an activist-minded Supreme Court, the judiciary may be the most important instrument for social, economic, and political change. So he outlined a game plan uh, explicitly involving the Supreme Court, and then Lewis Powell, six months later, was appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court by President Nixon and went on to write, in the space of about six years, four of the um, cases that created this idea of corporate speech under the First Amendment. That is completely and entirely sad. I, I wrote, I read that letter, I don't know, a few years ago, and it always struck me how, in effect, it wasn't. It, it you could change a whole lot of those words, and 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 state that what they really believed in. And this may be harsh, but if you listen to the words, he really was intent on creating a fascist state. I mean, it doesn't say it quite that way. But in effect, he's saying we, we the courts, we the, the people at the top are the ones that not only must rule, but we must effect social change. We must effect the brainwashing that, that goes on today. And we can ex- actually expand that a bit further, right? You, you and I, Laura, we all know, move to men, we all know that um, it is really that these corporations are, are really doing a bad thing. We all know that a lot of the laws being passed are not a good thing. But if you as Jeff Clement, who's written a book, who's done the research, attempt to make certain statements, it is amazing that those that are hurt by the corporations with the laws that they, that, that's in their favors, with, the, uh, with all these other issues, they will actually come out against you. So how do we build on the the necessary education as Powell did in an effective way in a in in a timely manner before it's too late? Well, yeah, the time is now, um, and the work I think has already started. Um, and the big, the biggest piece uh, I think has already moved a great deal, which is to no longer leave it to the courts or lawyers or politicians to fix, um, because uh, you know they, those all have a role. But uh, this is fundamentally a, a question for uh, all Americans to 
to have a national conversation about and address and fix. And that's that's the constitutional amendment movement and the power of that movement. So, you know, I, I don't know what was in Lewis Powell's mind. Uh, you know, when he was on the court, he was uh, viewed as a moderate by some. Uh, he, you know, he, he has a certain um, sort of Tidewater, Virginia aristocratic <laughs> bearing, uh, at least till he passed away. And so I think he was dismayed by some of what happened in the 60s, uh, you know, with um, riots in the streets and, you know, whether he overreacted and for his preference for order in this kind of a memo. I don't know. It would be a fascinating story. Um, you know, unfortunately, his the main biography of Lewis Powell doesn't even touch the memo. <laughs> you, don't, you don't even know what happened. Um, so it has been it has been too long ignored. Um, but of course, you know it's not just a memo, and it's not just Lewis Powell. It was it was that the movement for corporate rights, if you will, uh, they did follow his advice. It was funded uh, for many many years with with millions and millions of dollars, and organized uh, organizations across the country stood up. Things like Alec and and the uh, SPN and the Washington Legal Foundation and others, and the Chamber Litigation Project funded. So you know these are huge. Um, uh, adversaries that don't ag- necessarily agree with a, a transparent, um, you know, broadly uh, empowered democracy. Where and so, so I don't underestimate the the challenge, um, but I do think, uh, you know, fortunately we not only have right on our side, we have we have the founding principles of of what this country is about, and I think that will bring. Uh, people together across political differences, and that that I think is the great power to to win this. Is that um, you know Republicans agree on this, Democrats agree on this, um, Independents, Greens, uh, Libertarians uh, agree on this. We've tested this. You know, we did a ballot initiative in Montana that was not just about you know money and politics, but was very explicit about the power of corporations and that the people uh, of Montana in this ballot initiative language um, have the right and duty to make the rules for corporations, not the other way around. And it said that corporations do not have constitutional rights. This is a state in Montana that that went for Mitt Romney by 55%. 55% voted for Mitt Romney. They approved this ballot initiative that I'm talking about 75% to 25%. So, uh, we can win this. Um, we won't outspend the other side, but but I think we have a lot uh, 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 on our side, including the vast majority of the American people. Now, uh, the, the only tool they really have in their toolbox is their money, because the the the, arg- the argument that we have is logical. It's based in common sense. It's Based in the Constitution, I mean, you know, when push comes to shove, we're we're the righteous ones. <laughs> well, I think that's right, and I think it's more than righteousness too, because I think in the end, uh, you know, the best economy uh, is one that uh, is grounded in democracy. You know, that this this sort of short it's short a short short term gain uh, for to have you know massive corporate power and massive political inequality. And we're now seeing that. I mean, just this week, there was an AP survey of the top economists in the country saying that the the gross disparity of inequality in this country is ruining the economy. 
Um, and so, you know, you, that's a, a logical conclusion when people don't have any money to, to buy anything. And, you know, you, you can't change jobs or start a business with, because you can't afford health care, you can't move from your current workplace. All of those kind of problems that result, um, you know, when water is poisoned, um, when energy is, is, is uh, blocked for any kind of renewable energy, when you have all of these problems mounting, um, you know, you don't just have so-called activists or, you know, so-called, um, you know, movement people. You have everyone working together, um, whether they agree or disagree on sort of how we got here. They want the the country to work. They want the economy to work. They want their kids to grow up in a in a country that... Uh, that functions again, and I think that people are getting that. You know, we have 2,000 business leaders who've signed on to the constitutional amendment work. I think people know um, that this is not about you know anti-corporate or, or anti-right or anti-left. It's it's really about how can Americans uh, fix this project to move forward again, um, this country. And so that's that's where I think we will be able to prevail that the the narrow interest that the sort of chamber lewis powell vision um it just doesn't work uh for the country and so i think it's why it shifted in the last gilded age and we got the progressive era and we got change and i think we're going to go through one of those shifts again uh and sooner uh than we think because uh you know the country will demand it now, let me ask you and 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 this is not intended to be uh, partisan, but I just want to get your impressions and my bearings. Um, when would you say the actual decline began? In other words, the move from progressivism to, what is it, progressism, right, to uh, towards where we are right now? Uh, you know, I, I, uh, as I said, I, I kind of tr- tend to trace it to the early 70s um, when the shift happened. But I, I use a, a little bit of a different analysis. I actually think, um, you know, for for too long um, we have allowed what I think more of as corporatists uh, to be lumped with conservatives, and they're not they're not the same. Um, so right. I don't know if the progressivism um, has all the answers or. You know, I'm sure there are conservatives who know that you know conservatism or libertarianism certainly doesn't have all the answers. Um, you know, in the end, it's a dynamic process, and the country usually does better when there's a healthy debate of ideas and compromising and sort of, in some ways, this muddling forward. But that's the democratic process. Um, right. I think what went wrong is the democratic process. Again, small d. You know, the, the process of a republic functioning well was a problem of of corporatism uh becoming dominant so that you know right and left and progressive and conservative became you know something that divided us a lot but in the meantime the constant that went on no matter who was in power con- republican or democrat the the constant that went on was um slowly declining wages um slowly eroding environmental protections um slowly loss of sovereignty in towns and cities and and states, um, it became a process where, um, you know, over time, the sort of corporatist agenda prevailed. Um, you know, I, I, I've got to say, in the I describe in the book, in those cases that Lewis Powell wrote that kind of created the idea of corporate speech to turn the First Amendment into a tool to strike down laws. 
one of the big dissenters, and there were others, but one of the surprising dissenters was William Rehnquist, uh, another Nixon appointee, a conservative. Wow. Uh, and he was dissenting in passionate terms about how, you know, the economic and the political are two different things, and if you confuse them, uh, republics become uh, endangered. And that that the, he so he was advocating quite clearly uh, that there should not be a corporate speech uh, idea, and that corporations should not be treated as people under the Constitution. So, um, you know, I think. You know, we have had a, an erosion of our democracy over these past 40 years. Um, but again, I, I, I think if, if we can, um, it, and it's hard sometimes, but if both sides, all sides, you know, right and left can kind of try to look beyond the, the passion of the things that divide us and see the, the long-term trends and the source of those trends, uh, I think that that's where we can get things like 75% of people in Montana calling for fundamental, significant reform. That is so, so good. Let me ask you, uh, we're, we're near the, the end of the hour. Could you I have a question. Us? Oh, go ahead. I'm, I, go ahead. Which is kind of an uplifting one because when you start peeling back the, these layers, they're it's sad. It's. I feel bad for us as a nation, as a country, for our democracy when I start hearing all this stuff. And every two and four years, you know, we go out and we elect new people. And as you said, you know, sometimes they're left, sometimes they're right. Anyway, you look at it, we end up, you know, with corporations benefiting more than the rest of us. But the good news is <laughs> we're coming into an election year. And I, and I think now is an important time to think about, you know, whether you're on the left or whether you're on your right, part of your duty as a citizen in being in the electoral process isn't to just go throw a lever, depending on what party you're in, but to actually find out who you're voting, who, you know, of the people that you can vote for, the people on your ballot, who supports, you know, the idea that corporations are people and who supports the idea that the Constitution was right, that corporations are not people. And and to just go and know right from your local candidates on up to the federal ones, you know, where these candidates stand on this issue, because we have a lot of important issues. You know, you hear about, you know, income inequality being the number one issue in the day. And it is. It is. It's the number one, you know, immediate issue. But how do we get here? As, as Jeff has explained, you know, it's all part of this corporate rule, the corporate personhood, the the expansion of corporate rights under the under the through the supreme court and and so uh by raising this issue and getting people on record you know who to vote for you know if you want to really fix the problem the systemic problem that's stopping us from solving all kinds of issues then um one of the things that you can do coming up is bird dog your candidates and find out where they stand yeah, I think that is important. I think it is important to not um, sort of end on a down note and that there are things you can do and they're things that really do make a difference. Um, so, you know, when you, people, when we started this, uh, you know, collective we, all of us working in this effort, uh, you know, people would say it's ridiculous. You're not going to get anywhere with a constitutional amendment movement. Well, you know, at the end of the year in 2011, two states had passed resolutions demanding a 28th Amendment the end of December 2012, it was up to 11 states. It's now up to 16 states. Um, there was two years ago, 
uh, maybe one or two amendment bills that were sort of weak at the time. Not, not, not. It was good they were there, but they weren't getting at the corporate person issue, and they weren't doing enough on the money and politics issue. Um, we now have good, strong amendment bills introduced in the House, introduced in the Senate. Um, the We the People Amendment that Move to Amend is supporting is a very good, strong one. Um, Free Speech for People supports the same two-prong approach. They're in two different bills, but they're both um, introduced in the House and Senate, which also gets at both problems. So we're making a lot of progress, um, and you know, I think it's like every other advance uh, of democracy in our country. Um, if people didn't essentially do the impossible, we never would have had a chance. But people did the impossible, and I think you know we can do that too. And asking candidates where they stand, and really demanding that they get on board the right amendments and, and support amendments, and uh, it, it, it really does matter. And, and we'll continue to make progress, and we'll win in the end. I think you know it's either uh, you know it's win or, or go home and go down. So I, I intend to stay in this, and I, I know you all do too. Absolutely. Jeff, uh, please tell us a little bit about how uh, our our members can find you and, and, and about your book uh, as we close the hour. Um, yeah, sure. Thanks, Egberto. Um, uh, freespeechforpeople.org is the Free Speech for People website. We got a, have a ton of resources there. Check it out. Um, there's some, a lot of summaries, and there's always new interesting stuff going on, including the Legal uh, Advisory Committee. And I'll just say a quick word on that. It's part of our legal advocacy program. We have a host of scholars uh, and former state Supreme Court justices, included just, including Justice James Nelson, who was a Montana judge um, in the Montana case that challenged Citizens United, who wrote a great dissent talking about corporations are not persons under the Constitution, that it's an affront to human dignity to talk about them that way. And he retired after 20 years on the Montana Supreme Court and has joined our legal advisory committee. So check out freespeechforpeople.org. I know move to amend, of course, .org has a ton of resources as well. Uh, but you can find me over also at corporationsarenotpeople.com. It's sort of a blog that I um, update now and then. So I look forward to staying in touch. Uh, Thank you very much. Laura, you want to bring us home? We have about 30 seconds. Yeah, thanks. Thank you again, Jeff. It's been great having you on the show. And to all our listeners and supporters, have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Holiday, and a wonderful New Year. We trust you'll find some time to uh, be in the arms of your loved ones, with your family and friends, to recharge those batteries so we can come out swinging on the first. Happy holidays. Hey, Jeff, thank you very much. This was a great hour, a very informative uh, hour. And to all our members, happy holidays, and thank you for spending some time with us. Everybody, have a wonderful rest of Bye-bye.